Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Welcome to Wine Talk for today, Wednesday, July 14th, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I'll take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860, or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. You can also go into the chat room that I've set up here live on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts, or... Ask me any questions you like. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. If you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and shows I'm currently a part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo and The Examiner, and I've written a special review of the wines of my guest tonight that you can read at TheExaminer.com or go into the chat room tonight and click on the link I've put in there for the article. You can also go on to the uh, web searches and put in, of course, through the Wine Guru and get the articles there. There's other articles as well from the Examiner. I've also made a Wine 101 video series of videos that can be viewed on both YouTube or my website. So check those out. You're listening to Stew the Wine Guru on blogtalkradio.com. I think you already knew that already, right? Yeah. Cheers. Tonight is going to be a bit different. As always, when I have a guest on, I change the format because I want to dedicate the full hour to her. I have a very special guest. I have the pleasure of having on my show tonight a unique California wine producer. She's originally from Argentina. Her wines are well-known worldwide, and her methods for producing them are a bit different, but the results are fantastic. Her name is Delia Viader of Viader Wines. She will be with us shortly. Of course, the number to call in is 1-646-381-4860. Or, if you're shy and prefer the computer, email me your questions for both Delia and I at info at As I mentioned at the top of the show, I have opened a chat room for the listeners to go into and chat. You can also ask questions of Delia or myself and I'll check into the chat room live periodically during the show to get your answers. In a world where there are many wine experts and know-it-alls, there's only one Stu the Wine Guru, and he'll be right back.
But first up, I want an announcement to make here. I want to thank everyone who is following me on Twitter. I just recently became a Twitterometrist, and I am enjoying the immediacy of the medium. I like the ability to give updates, and my guests are doing the same to promote the show. So thanks to Twitter and social media. If you want to sponsor Stu on KFNX 1100 Talk Radio, call Francis Battaglia at 1-602-277-1100. Remember, if you have questions, I have answers. So call me at 1-646-381-4860 or email me at info at stewthewineguru.com or get into the chat room and voice your opinion. Let me make sure that before we have my guests come on that everyone knows Delia's website and can go there for more information about her and Viadere Wines. To learn more about Delia, go to www.viader.com and find out where you can buy her wines locally in your town or buy them directly from Delia. That's the beauty of the Internet. Okay, so without further wait, let's bring on my guest for the night, Delia Viader of Viadere Wines. Delia? Yes? I want to thank you and welcome you to the show. First of all, I want to start by thanking you for being on my show and discussing your great wines with us. Appreciate thank that. You. Fantastic to have you. So, let me start off by asking a different question than probably everybody else asks you. What Can you remember the first wine you ever tried? The first wine that I ever tried? No, yeah, it was really small. <laughs> the, one, the first wine that ever floored me when I tried it was uh, a Merlot. So, <laughs> it's, okay, uh, a Merlot? Yes. It was a wine that my father was thinking of serving, and he kind of hinted if uh, I wanted to give an opinion and passed the wine and, and said, do you think this is good enough? And at that time, I probably was 13. Uh, okay. Both my parents were European, so we always had wine and at the table. So whenever sure. uh, you were interesting enough to be a participant, you had your wine at the meal uh, with a little bit less water as you grew up. But... At this particular one, I remember because I got to know it a little bit better afterwards. I didn't know uh, anything like it. Uh, it was Petrus, and I many many years later got to meet uh, Christian Moex. So it's it's kind wow. of interesting how things that impress you early on later on sure. uh, continue to impress you. <laughs> That is an impressive wine to be uh, to have an early memory of, without a doubt. Wow. Okay. I have to say that's the first time that uh, I, I've gotten an answer like that. Most of the time, either people don't remember at all, or when they do, you know, it, it tends to be something that, you know, if they have a vineyard or they grow up on a vineyard, uh, you know, that's the wine that they predominantly drink first. But that's that's a, that's a great story. Um, you know, when you were growing up in Argentina, did you have an attraction to the wine business? I mean, what is exactly what was it that that kind of draw you through you to it? Uh, no, I didn't have an attraction to the wine business. Uh, my father was a diplomat. We had wine with meals, but mm -hmm. never thought uh, of being on the other side making it. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I announced to my father that I had changed career plans and I wanted to start a vineyard. Um, he wasn't particularly pleased. Actually, he thought that after all the money that he had poured into my education, because I went a little bit circuitously, uh, ended up in the wine business, <laughs> he said, after all the money that I poured, you all you want to become is a farmer. Uh, for him, it was always a question of, you know, uh, talking about my brothers. They both have professional degrees, and talking about his adorable daughter, uh, it was 
what is she doing? Well, she's a farmer. Uh, for him, it was not something that particularly uh, made him proud at the moment. He later right. became a little bit more acquainted that, yes, it is farming, um, but it, it's a little bit more than farming, and uh, I was really enjoying it, and I really meant it. Uh, he gave me a few hints on getting started and treated me very seriously, very strict in the approach uh, because I needed his financial support. I could not have started any other way. Sure. Um, and he took it as a real business proposal. And as such, I think that it helped me solidify my plans and be uh, on my way. So why don't you so tell it's my not, listeners? It's not something that I really had in mind. That's what I wanted to ask. That, so I'm, I'm kind of dovetailing into that. So, so tell my listeners, what exactly did you originally go to school for? And then, what, and then when you first made your, your first endeavor into wine, what, you know, how that started. So just take us back a little bit. <laughs> Initially, I was planning to uh, follow my father's steps, and so I wanted to go to a particular school in France, particular college, and the admission for uh, diplomatic studies was um, a degree, either a PhD or a JD, in fluency in two languages, uh, at least. I completed a PhD um, equivalent, a doctorate in the Sorbonne University in philosophy. My major was okay. logic and pure mathematics, nothing to do with wine in some way. And I do speak six languages fluently. Only but, six? <laughs> yes, only I'm kidding, six. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm working on my Japanese. That's a, the, my next. I, I literally uh, tripped through one language, English. <laughs> I'm uh, okay, your American ahead. is a lot better, right? Yes, my, my American accent, wait, wait do you hear that? Um, I'll pull I'll <laughs> that out a little bit later. Go ahead. Um, so really, it wasn't, uh, at first thought, it wasn't a particular uh, fit. And... It, it was just a series of circumstances, to make the long story short, that brought me to California and kind of put me uh, in the path of acquiring the land and thinking that perhaps this was the, the most romantic and the most natural setting to bring out my children. As a single mom, that was very, very important and first priority. And I thought, you know, countryside, Napa Valley, why not? And at that time, wine industry, for women particularly, was not a given. It, there were, aside from Zelma Long or Mary Edwards, there were not that many women in the business, and particularly not too many women winemakers, women vineyard owners, and, you know, single moms on top of that. So it was kind of a surprise to my father and a little bit of a circuitous way to get to the wine business simply because I thought it was where close to nature where I could really instill in my children the the values that I was interested in. It was a very roundabout. I wasn't thinking of becoming rich, definitely not through farming. Um, I wasn't thinking of, you know, getting notoriety just because I put my name on the label. I was thinking mostly uh, of a place that would be a family-oriented, where I could have my children with me and understanding the cycles of nature, understanding the opportunity of um hard work and see the results of your hard work. Uh, I was more interested in in a family aspect and the values that 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 kind of 
uh, would bring for my children. Uh, It was kind of an unusual uh, way of doing it, but I don't regret any moment uh, having done so. Now, having said that, it proved to be a little bit different than what I expected. Definitely uh, winemaking is fantastic from the creative point of view. It's fantastic for a personality like mine that likes to be active. It's it's very rewarding to have not one day be the same as the next. Uh, At the same point, it's also... 24-7, seven days a week. Um, And when you are in business on your own and you have to put food on the table, it's 14-hour days, 15-hour days, one after next, after next, after next. There is no Sundays. There is no holidays. Uh, It takes a little bit of discipline and it takes a little bit of uh, motivation. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, hold that thought for a second. As this is a, a call-in show, we have a call uh, if you'd like to take it and uh, answer some questions. Um, sure. Let's see. Hold on one second. Hi, caller. Uh, what is your name and where are you calling from? Hello, it's Ada from Italy. Ada. Hello. Hi. How are you? Come back, Ada. Va bene, lei come sta? Benissimo, questa è la prima volta che ho fatto cosa così. Fantastico! (laughs) Great! I was just listening to the show by telephone. Here in Italy is 1.15 a.m. in the night. And I'm just back from a lovely wine tasting from Campania region. I'm from Campania region, the Amalfi Coast. And so I am in wine tonight with you (laughs) from the other side of the world. (laughs) Yes. Yes. My question. question? Yes, exactly. Let's go to the point. My question, we were talking about, you were talking, sorry, about the the rule of women in wine. And uh, you said that... uh, of course, when you started, it was really, really hard for you, and not many women were involved. What do you think? What about today? What's going on nowadays with us, women in wine? Well, I like what is happening. I like that the universe is, has been expanded, has been opened. Um, there is more women in wine. I have many uh, women uh, in my group winemakers group, and many of those actually good friends from Italy, um, mm-hmm. good friends with um, Marilisa Allegrini and yeah, from the Veneto area, yeah. and Elisabetta Foradori also, uh, great women winemakers from Italy. Um, at the same time, um, women in the United States are still trying to um, find more opportunities in the wine industry. And uh, that is something that is going in the right direction. There is still a lot of work to do. And this is very challenging, too. (laughs) It is very challenging. It is very challenging. Um, it, It is still today that people think twice before hiring a lady to be a yeah. seller worker rather than a guy. So uh, at the same time, you see that the top, top, top brands in the United States, the ones that are becoming cult, as they call it, uh, there are the majority of them made by women. So uh, there is something that women bring to the wine industry, and I think that is very positive. So... There is more room. <laughs> Absolutely, I do agree. <laughs> and this is something that, yes, as you, you said, well, in Italy is uh, going on, is working, is always a work in progress, and we are very, very yes. proud to have people like you in this uh, lovely industry. And we are always attracted. I'm not a winemaker, I'm just a wine passionate. But it, it's, I mean, when the passion rules everything, it's 
it's good to be a winemaker and it's good to be a drinker. <laughs> at the yes, same time. absolutely. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, you're not in this business. Uh, you won't survive long enough if you're not passionate about what you do. It takes a lot of motivation, and I... And I was talking about, you know, long days and a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Unless you're passionate about what you're doing, it's it's not going to last. So yeah, I think uh, a lot of it is you need to have that passion and be uh, passionate sure. about making one. Uh, so um, my next question is regarding more the like commercial point of view and the business itself. And uh, I, I see that you are a family running, uh, uh, beautiful winery working yeah. very, very well, small, yes. And what do you think about, this is a reflection, um, about the role of an external person coming into your winery to help? And uh, what do you think, for example, it, can he or she be like um, uh, a, a moment of... Uh, um, meeting ideas, or like discovering ideas, or could be like something that could stop what you want to do or could like go in disagreement? What do you think? Oh, having a background in philosophy, I welcome that. I welcome different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I constantly um, encourage my children to have an open view, to remain open to learn something, uh, because we're always learning something sure. uh, uh, from a perspective that agrees, disagrees, or goes in between. You you can you need to always be open. Um, technology would not have advanced, the science would not have, have advanced if we wouldn't be open to uh, try things, new things. Um, having said that, it's it. I've had had the opportunity to work in Italy for seven years. I used to have a vineyard in Tuscany, as a matter of fact, in Bulgaria. Yeah. Uh, they used to call me the Bionda Americana because bionda. I wanted things. <laughs> First of all, because I'm blonde, but not because of that. It was because um, for the way of the American way and the Italian mindset, um, have a slight difference in timing, I would say it. Um, I wanted things then by a certain deadline, and in Italy they consider that uh, you have your lifetime to achieve sure. something. <laughs> and right. <laughs> exactly. So it was always a little bit of a at, at a at a conflict uh, to try to get the vineyard uh, planted by a certain deadline to get. The, the harvest done by a certain time and to get things done by a certain time and please the bank by a certain time. Uh, it was it was very interesting. They would always um, tease me. Um, all of my workers in Italy would always tease me about my, my rush American way of thinking. Uh, why didn't I come down to the real way of thinking in Italy, which is about life and it's about quality of life and it's about uh, things a little bit more profound than just getting the job done on time. And <laughs> it, it, was, in, it was, if you can imagine, it was always like business and, and, and relaxed way of looking at business, always I kind bet, of... I bet, right? <laughs> and maybe, <laughs> and maybe when the two things join together, so to be punctual, to do the things on time, and to enjoy life, we are in the perfection. <laughs> right, and and it it's, it's it was always the same. I said I would tell my my helpers in Italy the only difference between you guys here and my guys in. California is that for you is domani domani and for my oh, guys yeah. over there is mañana mañana. That's great. That's great. Thank you. I want to thank oh, you. Thank for you very much for the call. I really appreciate Thanks. it, and I and I, I I would ask if you would anytime call into our show. Uh, and I understand it's the one one o'clock after one o'clock in the morning, but I really appreciate you taking the time and doing that and calling into the show. Anyway, 
And Thank you uh, you're welcome anytime. You're welcome anytime to call into the show. Uh, and, uh, and thank you for your questions. They were excellent questions. And we have another call here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, uh, say uh, bye to everybody. Bye, Diane. Ciao, bye, ciao. 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 Arrivederci. 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 Ciao. Okay. So let's go to the next call I have here. Let's see where they're calling from. Um, hold on. Caller, what is your name and where are you calling from? So this is Mark Norman from uh, Connecticut. Hey, uh, Mark. How are you? Very good. Uh, yeah, this is uh, Mark Norman show. from the Wineries of the World. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. So welcome how to are the you? show. Well, Superb. I'm going to be a little bit more domestic in my questions. Um, so much of California, especially now, is uh, the, the small and medium-sized wineries are using direct-to-consumer for their sales. And I'm not really sure that a lot of the consumers are aware of this new impending bill, the H.R. Uh, 5034, that may mm-hmm. take state-to-state shipping away. So I guess my first question to you would be, how do you feel uh, about this bill and the, so much that you've heard so far? Uh, well, uh, we've been alerted by the Wine Institute, uh, the legal department, and it, we've been, my daughter and I have been collecting uh, signatures uh, to help uh, deter that kind of legislation and many others that are always kind of creeping back up in different shape or form, uh, but they all are kind of after that uh, taking away rights or taking away or taxing as one more time with those very uh, well-known sin taxes. Anything that gives you pleasure should be taxed. So um, to answer your question, we've been trying to be proactive and do our duty as best we could. Okay, so I mean, you know, and and that would be my assumption that you would um, not be in favor of it, but be against it. Um, have the the wineries formed any kind of special groups to try to fight fight it? Uh, no, other than uh, the initiative was taken by the Wine Institute of California, based in San Francisco. So they are uh, constantly. Through the help of the Napa Valley Vintners Association, for example, and the membership, always alerting as of pending legislation. And then our congressman, Mike Thompson, is always working uh, on our behalf, trying to uh, help us understand the legislation that is pending and work with us to stop it. I guess my last question to you, and I'm hoping all the listeners out there, the consumers, will take the time to try to investigate a little bit. Um, if anybody can't tell from my tone of voice, I'm not in favor of it either. What would you tell the listeners? Um, because, again, it's not just about, you know, it, it could cripple many of especially the smaller wineries, but it's going to have a tremendous impact in terms of choices that the consumer could have. What would you tell the audience that listening, what would you suggest to them to do to try to um, help the wineries and help themselves? Well, make your voice count. Uh, be heard. Find out who your representatives are, uh, who is able to exert the most pressure um, in the government you know, find out how to reach to your uh, local representative and make that uh, that call or that email or that uh, comment so they will do what they are actually there <laughs> for, which is represent your interests. Um, there is... I believe in the democratic system. I believe in, in in the power of one, and soon enough is one plus one plus one plus one. Uh, we become, you know, a force. So I think it's a question of 
getting active for what you believe in. What I'll do, by the way, I was just going to say, interject for a second, guys. What I'll do is I'll put up on the website for anybody that wants to, you know, check it out, uh, about information about the bill, and uh, so this way people can be informed. Because as everyone knows, information is power, and uh, the only way we can get that information and that power out to the people is to make them aware of it. So that will be something that you can go onto my website. I'll have that information up there. It's an excellent question, Mark, and uh, and it brings up very real uh, issues that uh, that everyone has to think about and and has to deal with, from the winemaker down to the consumer. So uh, right. I really appreciate uh, you asking that very very uh, provocative and thought provoking question that uh, that my listeners need to know. And Delia, it's nice talking to you again, and thank you for uh, taking the time to answer that. And Mark, thank you for calling in, and as always, you're welcome on my show anytime. Uh, That would be terrific. Thank you, Vilma, and both of you have a great uh, evening, and I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the show. You as well. You as well, Mark. Thanks again. Okay, so what I was going to get to next is I wanted to just kind of touch base and go back a little bit. Tell us about the significance of the terroir with your wines. Uh, and, and I'm going to just step back a second and give a little uh, information, a backstory per se, to my listeners. Uh, your, the way you actually plant your, your vineyards are on a 32-degree angle, per se, on the, rocky, yeah. right, uh, on the rocky slopes of the Howell Mountains. So which is completely unusual for any type of, let's say, American-made wines, uh, whereas I know they do that in Europe, and, uh, and I know that's kind of the idea of where you took that from. But, again, now getting back to terroir, explain the significance of the terroir with your wines. Uh, for me, it has the biggest impact uh, because it determines um, – many things that have to do with the raw material. Without the raw material, which is perfectly uh, ripened grapes, I, you know, I, I can do everything that I can think of in the cellar, but it won't be as good or equally as good. Um, so I really rely on terroir to give the imprint and the grapes that I'm growing. The reason why it, it's important to have the vineyard layout in um, such an unusual way, up and down the hill, no terracing, and perfectly oriented rows east-west, is because it allows me to ripen the, the fruit without burning the fruit. Uh, either grapes can receive too much sun in the morning sun or too much sun in the afternoon sun, and get uh, perhaps towards uh, harvest time, get too much of a good thing and be uh, too much impacted uh, by that. I avoid completely that possibility by having always the canopy protecting the grapes and uh, in the way that the light gets to them, it's always filtered by leaves by the canopy. Um, at the same time, the vines are closer to the ground. Uh, they're, as, as I call them, my little bonsai vines. They don't grow too much. Uh, they don't reach extreme heights. And that is also important because being a volcanic rock, it absorbs the heat from the sun during the day, but it also starts releasing it after the sun sets for a couple of hours. So it maintains a perfect temperature that is uh, very gentle and very conducive to ripening, to a continuous ripening of the grapes without um, too much ups and downs in in temperature, uh, which causes the ripening, what we call the physiological ripening, which is a fancy word to say that all of the um, acids that are inside that little berry, trapped inside that little berry, are all in, in getting in perfect harmony uh, by the time I 
decide to take them in. So right. uh, it is very important not o- not only just the basic terroir, but how you actually harness that terroir, the, the, the positive attributes of that terroir. The soil in itself is very, very poor volcanic soil. Practically, we have eight inches of topsoil. There is no topsoil. The rest is just rock. So the vines really have to tap, send tap roots very, very deep. Um, They have to really utilize every, every uh, drop of moisture that they can gather. And in that way, I'm able to control the vegetative cycle of that vine, of of that uh, grape that I'm I'm trying to uh, get Mother Nature to put as much flavor as possible. Um, So later on, when I bring it in the cellar, it needs very little intervention from me, the winemaker, into making a great wine. It's, for me, the most natural way of showing the terroir is the most direct route. Um, no addition of anything, no touching anything, not changing anything is to me has to be more of a poor uh, soil that really finds the the grapevine on the brink of thinking it's going to die, and right. in that sense, you 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 can parallel a vine to a pregnant woman in in the sense that in that grape is the seed that is going to continue the species. Well, um, the vine will do everything in its power to protect that passing of the the seed. So Mm -hmm. if you trick it into thinking it's going to die because you're controlling water, there is no fertility in the soil, and um, you you really are restricting every possible uh, nutrient. It's going to stop the the growing of leaves and the shoots and and everything else. But the very very last thing that it's going to do is try to abort the fruit. So it is a very fine line and um, a very interesting one in which you're you're taking advantage of the terroir and making it work to get the best possible the most concentrated flavors in the grape in the raw material uh in a natural way you're uh, using mother nature basically what it is to its fullest potential basically to its fullest and, potential right and, and you know the French have a saying, I wish I remembered, you might know it, with, when, with old world wines about the struggle of, of the grape and the vines and all that I, in, in order to make the, the wine the best. The, the, in, the, in essence of it, and I, again, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying in French, mm-hmm. but the English translation is, is that the, the, the biggest struggle that the vines have, the most struggle that the vines have, the better the quality that the wine can be produced. Totally. Uh, have you heard it before? Stressed, right. yeah, stressed vines make the best wine. Totally, um, it's, it's simply because they're concentrating in that raw material. They're concentrating in that little berry, um, all of its flavor. Uh, vines are remarkable uh, individuals. In it's always been my pleasure to to work with something that is. It's in itself um, a kind of a marvel. Um, they they protect themselves. They um, keep all their nutrients within themselves. As a type of crop, it really requires very little from the soil. Um, right. It's it is amazing what you can bring from. Um, Grapes. Uh, all the and I want flavors. to say, I, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just was going to tell you. I wanted to say, in that process, in doing it the way you do it, uh, when you originally came to California and to Napa to to do this, 
many people in the business thought you were, uh, <laughs> for lack of a better expression, crazy. crazy. Right. In doing it that way because they, you know, <laughs> nobody saw the science behind it or the, the natural benefits uh, in, in producing it that way. They thought, you know, this, this doesn't work. You're in Napa Valley. You're in, you know, you know, you're not, you know, you're not in France, you're not in Bordeaux, and you're not, you know, the, there's nothing here. You know, in, in, you're, you're looking for the worst possible, as we'll call it, terroir. You're looking for the worst possible dirt, if you will, to, to plant in. And, you know, what are you thinking? So I think you had the last laugh, if you will, on everyone. Because anyone out there, and I, and I urge you to get a chance to go wherever you are, in whatever town you are, in whatever country you are, in every, whatever region of the world, to go to your local wine shop, to go to the, and I will give you again, uh, uh, Delia's uh, direct website, so you can purchase some of this wine, because it is fantastic. And I can say so from personal experience, uh, I've had a chance to try to sample some of them, the uh, the Via Dair, the Cabernet Franc, and the um, and the and the the, uh, the Dare actually Cab Franc, um, and yes. the Via Dair um, Cab Franc blend, uh, Cabernet mm-hmm. Sauvignon blend. And I have to say, and I wrote in, I, I have it in my chat my chat room, just so you know, the review I wrote about it is in is uh, is a clickable link that you can go to both in my uh, chat room. And also, if you go on to examiner.com or if you go to uh, log on and do just a, a, a Google search of through the wine guru, you'll find it there. I have to say, it is fantastic wine. It is just really, really good wine that not only by itself is very good, uh, but uh, paired with the right foods. Now, and, I, and I'll let you know that I had had, I think originally, um, London Broil with the Viadere and mashed potatoes, and, and it was just, I, I, I've said this before on the show, and anyone who's listened to my show before will attest to this. The wine made the London broil taste good, taste better, and not to take, of course, anything away from the wine, but each paired with each other made each other better. And it just, it, it, it just opened up and was more flavorful and more flavorful and more flavorful, and it was just a wonderful thing, I have to say. So I wanted to get that out there. And then the other thing is, what's nice about this is, unlike the reputation that California wines get about aging and cellaring, that unfortunately it's their new wines and you really have to drink them when the vintage comes out and you really can't, that is bunk. This is wine that you could put away for years and, uh, and it age well and it will sell. You know, you, you just know... In, in the way you sip it and the way you drink it, wines that have that capacity and have that potential and wines that you know, what, you're drinking it now, that's going to be the best it's ever going to get. And these are wines that I, I can say uh, kind of debunk that myth about California and give it that uh, European uh, cellaring capacity and aging capacity. So I, I want my listeners to know that. So I urge everyone, www.viader com to go and uh, find out where it is locally available to you in whatever country, in whatever town, in whatever city you're in, and, and get some. And get some and sit down and enjoy it. Get a couple bottles. One to cellar, one to put away for a bunch of years, and one to enjoy right away. Open the bottle, let it breathe a little bit, and then just, just dive in and really and really enjoy. So... That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So enough about that for a second. Let me get back to what I, the questions I had. So I have a lot of questions, and I know I'll, I know time will run out, and I'll be like, wait a minute, I had more questions. You'll have to come on again. Um, so why Cabernet Franc as a main grape when everyone under traditional wisdom in the wine industry says that's a grape that you blend, like the French blended in the old world wine? Why pick, mm-hmm. pick that as a, as a main grape? Um, simply because I think Cabernet Franc has certain attributes that perhaps uh, are very important to me and they're, I would describe as feminine. 
um, in a positive way. I think the aromatics of Cabernet Franc are very pretty, uh, very floral-like. And uh, it has good structure, but it's definitely uh, the aromatics that, to me, are much more appealing. And I make wine in a very artistic way. I like a painter has to uh, kind of create something that is appealing to the eye. As a winemaker, I'm trying to create something that is appealing to the most important, one of the most important senses that bring you to the perfect tasting, which is the olfaction, the aromatics. I think that what first call you to a wine is not just the color, it's the aromatics. What first intrigue you or kind of uh, perhaps entice you on a wine is the aromatics. And with the aromatics, I, I like to work, okay, first there is an enticement and an intrigue. And when you actually go through the tasting process of the wine, it has to bring slowly um, from the aromatics to the texture, to the finish, to the structure of that wine, um, it has to bring a pleasant impression or uh, a pleasant experience. I'm not one to give you uh, a big bat over the head with tannins. I prefer uh, in a certain way, and people tease me obviously about this, I, I prefer seduction over power, and yes. I, when I say that, it's, it's, I always get teased, but it's, it's, it's simply put, I, I like things uh, conveyed in a more um, artistic way, in a more gentle mm-hmm. way, uh, which doesn't take away from the real uh, structure of the wine or the, pot- the potential for aging. Everything that the wine needs is there. It's just that it doesn't need to be shouting at you. At you. It perhaps requires a little bit more of introspection. And a more subdued I approach, prefer, maybe? Yeah, a little bit more of an, uh, uh, I would say introspection, just a little bit more of mm-hmm. a subtle approach. Okay. That, that works. I have a couple of email questions. I should say a couple. I have a lot of them. And and forgive me, everyone that's emailed in their questions that I'm not going to get to tonight, uh, but I will get answers for you, and I will get uh, and I and I will get to them. So first up is from Wine Asaurus from Chicago, Illinois. I love the screen names that I have that email me, and he says, "Hi Stu, I'm a big fan of the show. I listen every week, and your wine picks and guests are fantastic. Delia, I love your via there, Cab Franc. My question is." Was there ever a time early on you thought of making Pinot Noir or Chardonnay? Thanks. That was it. So, as a winemaker, it's always Pinot Noir is always the holy grail. Um, as you know, you always try to uh, capture the the most difficult uh, personality, which will be Pinot Noir. But the terroir that I have in Napa Valley, it's not. Perhaps uh, it doesn't lend itself to make a good peanut. So whenever I find the right terroir and I'm able to uh, really control the whole process, meaning you know do it my way organically and biodynamically and and uh, with the right elements, then I will make Pinot Noir. But it's always in my heart. Um, oh sure. That that. I would really like to. And I want to say, I want to get that out there about that as well, that your wines are biodynamic. And uh, for everyone out there familiar with that process, um, you know, about as close as you're getting to organic, correct? Well, I think it's just a a closing of the loop with organic. Um, Organic is simply not utilizing certain chemicals and certain... um, Definitely not utilizing pesticides or or um, uh, 
things of that nature. With biodynamic, you take into account a more holistic approach. It's um, nothing but taking the veneer in and encompassing that as part of the universe in a way. And I follow very much the influence of the moon, and many people will find that kind of geeky at the same time. If you think how much the moon influences the tide, well, it will also influence the sap, for example. And when you have to do certain viticultural processes like um, pruning, it, it you want to really get to it at the time that the moon is perhaps in the most uh, good alignment to help that sap really flow in the direction that will prevent any kind of pathogen come in. Right. You're, after all, creating a cut, creating a, a wound in the, in the vine. So you, it might be true or it might not be true what's what's the the difference uh, I've rather tried to utilize the forces of the moon in uh the alignment of the planets in a certain way that perhaps even if it's only in my mind helps it's helpful <laughs> well, let me just say that if it's in your mind or it's in <laughs> tanks and and in in the oak casks. Either way, it's making some great wine, so <laughs> it. Um, I have another question from uh, let's see, Manoshevi from New York, New York. Alright. Says, hey Stu, great show and great guest. My question for Delia is why would you change the percentage of other varietals in your V Reserve blend wines with each vintage? Thanks guys and I'll keep listening Stu to Wine Talk. Okay, so I guess you want to address the Changing of the the percentages of the percentages in all of my blends, I do Uh, because I'm trying to present what is best, uh, the personality that shows best that season. Uh, So, in order for me to make always the best wine of the season, sometimes uh, with Viadere, which is a blend of Cabernet and Cabernet Franc, sometimes the Cabernet Franc shows best and it can go up to. 49% 49% in the blend. And sometimes it doesn't show as good, so it goes down as low as 25% in the blend. Right. It, I'm trying to make the best wine of the vintage for that particular style of wine that I have in mind for Viedere, which is always a very aromatic, very approachable, um, age-worthy. For the V. It's a Petit Verdot blend, and Petit Verdot requires much more sun hours than any of the other four varieties. You know, there is five Bordeaux varieties, Cabernet, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Malbec, and Petit Verdot. And the reason Petit Verdot ripens last and it has the characteristics it has is because it needs more sun hours. And sometimes the season doesn't pan out the best for uh, Petit Verdot, and I need to add a little bit more Cabernet to get to the style of that wine. Right. Sometimes I go 92% Petit Verdot. Sometimes I go 60% Petit Verdot. So it, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to present a personality. I'm trying to present a certain grape in the best light for that particular vintage. Um, right. And for that, I go through a lot of tasting and a lot of selection and a lot of blending trials. So I need to, if I'm going to be true to a certain style, I need also to be true to the difference in the seasons. I do not control the seasons. Even though they're very right. predictable in California, there is always mm-hmm. just slight differences. And I find that that's as truthful as I can be <laughs> in okay. in winemaking. So I have another question for you, an email question from Manch83 from Manchester. Now I guess what, why the name is Manch83. Manchester, England. It says, cheers to you two. Great interview. 
Julia, I've had your Via Dare before in the States and found it fantastic. I wondered if you can recommend a particularly good food pairing for it. And where in London would I find your wines, or do you ship direct via your website? Thank you both. All right. <laughs> Go. That's a, a bit to ask, but let's, let's take it. Yes. Take it on. It is, it is um, a bit to ask. Uh, my wines are actually found in 46 countries in the world, and London is one of them. Um, and fortunately, I cannot tell you exactly which restaurant might have it or which shop might have it at this point. Um, it, there's been a, a similar shakeout in the English market as it has been in the United States, and a lot of uh, importers have uh, gone under, as a matter of fact, and mine wow. happens to be one of the <laughs> ones that uh, happened okay. to uh, lose uh, get lost in the in the shuffle. So, uh, so should we reach out to an importer in 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 the UK right now while in the UK. listening? And because I have importers be listening, and I have people from every walk of the wine world listening right now. So let's put a shout out there. Anybody in England, <laughs> the UK, yeah. come on, it's their wine. You can't go wrong. It's awesome wine. You know it. So you know, know, let's it. pick up the ball. They know it exactly. And pick up the ball here. They know it. And one of the best pairs with Vitter, obviously, is uh, lamb, rack of lamb, and almost in any preparation you can't go wrong okay so that's good so you got the food pairing in that and you know let me say to match 83 you know you can go online you can go to www.viedia.com and they will ship to you so you know you want to get some wine for this coming weekend match 83 go online and pick up um, some good via dare or pick up v or uh, dare any of the wines you can't go wrong with either of them. Okay, so let's see. Uh, I, I picked a couple of questions there um, because there's, there's a, a bunch more, but we're going to run out of time. So um, what I want to ask you, are there any festivals? Is there any news about your wines? Is there anything you want to impart to the listeners that they should, where they can go and they can enjoy it, things that are coming up that are of your personal uh, preference and recommendation? In, in terms of... Uh Coming up, vegetables. Yeah, yeah. Vegetables. Vegetables. And places that they can go that, that you recommend uh, that are coming up that you, you know, uh, things that you're, you know, anything of, of personal, a, a personal cause or interest that you have that you want to let everybody know about. Well, in terms of coming up, Vintages 2007 definitely is something that um, everybody will be talking about in, with in due course, uh, we'll find out that it's fantastic vintage. Um, in terms of causes, I always take care of the community where I am and anything that has a direct impact with children and children with disabilities since my first son uh, is Down syndrome. I always uh, protect and encourage all of the uh, charities that have to do with children with disabilities. Um, in coming up uh, at the winery in terms of uh, vegetables, sure. I lost touch since uh, my son had the good fortune of marrying a chef. She's in charge <laughs> of our organic garden. So she probably would know. Yeah, I would, I would know more what it's coming and what is um, seasonal. So I would tell everybody to go uh, to the website, man, and they'll be <laughs> Yes, and ask Mariela uh, what she's cooking with this month. Um, there you go. That would be the best ask way Mariela. to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say, I, before we run out of time, I want to first thank you so much for coming on my show. Um, I hope to have you on again. Uh, you're a great guest. Uh, and, and, and very entertaining and very informative. Uh, as I mentioned, the website is com. Go there. Of course, check it out for all information about that. Um, I want to thank all the listeners who called and emailed in their questions. I, of course, especially want to thank Delia 
be there for coming on and telling us about her amazing wines. As always, if you have any questions about the show, you can email them to info at stewthewineguru.com. You can go to my website as well at www.stewthewineguru.com and click on the link for all my wine articles, and I'll get all the information up as well as her link. And as I always say, it's time to pour the wine. It's time for Stew the Wine Guru. So drink up, good night, and good wine. And thank you, Delia. Have a great evening. Same to you, Stu. Thank you. Take care. Take care.